Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is episode 2902 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, much like yesterday, I'm actually going to record, or actually live stream, uh, the main body of the show. Now, if you're listening to this uh, then on, on you know, like a podcast aggregator or something, that's already happened, but it, it'll mean the videos out there and it can be used because I think today's video is, uh, or today's podcast is going to be something that can be useful. I had somewhat of an emotional struggle with myself over to how to handle the problem I'm trying to correct today. And those of you that know me that know there's nothing like a good old-fashioned Jack rant, macho man savage, elbow-to-the-head style of rant. This year, I have been highly encouraged to have huge hope for the future of the world as a whole, and specifically for our future. When I say our future, I mean people that are agorists, anarchists, libertarians, liberty-oriented, homesteaders, Preppers, people that actually understand that we control our own destiny far more than anybody else out there that tries to interfere with it. And I've tried to do something this year that I hadn't done for a while. When I first started TSP, and I was just trying to get off the ground, I was a very accessible personality to others. If you said, hey, Jack, come on my podcast, I was like, sure. If you said, hey, will you speak at my event? Sure. Will you come to this state and, and, and do a thing? Yeah, sure. And... Over time, you build success, and you have so many people pulling at you, you tend to have to start saying no. And there's two ways you can say no. One is no because you need to, and one is no so you can ask for more money to do a thing. I, mine was the first one. I just I needed to be me, and I needed to not be pulled in a thousand directions. Well, looking at what's happened to our world over the last year and a half, and I threw so much work into 2020, what I decided to do in 2021, and I started doing this long before y'all knew it, where I was going to, I knew I was headed toward a four show a week schedule uh, with the Miyagi Mornings recaps and all. I started trying to free up my life a little more, not so I could just screw off, but so I could also give back and start saying yes again. And good and bad has come from this. Good has come from the show's footprint is larger. More people are coming to the show. I'm, I'm hearing from people like, I found you here, I found you there, and that's all great. The bad is this thing that created a conflict in me with how to handle today. And I could either go jack rant, beating people up, or go positive. And I'm going to go positive. But I want to tell you the reason that I want to go negative. I have done things like um, John, John Bush and Derek Bros's Greater Reset. I got involved with some other uh, presentations through John. Uh, I've worked with some other folks, uh, J J recently Jeff Berwick. Uh, a lot of other places I've gone and presented some piece of what we do. And that's been great. And everybody I've dealt with directly in those situations has been great. But we're now at a point where everybody's live streaming everything and there's an ongoing chat while you're doing that. Everybody is creating a Telegram group for their event and for their movement, and that's good. But because I've been involved as... You know, a presenter, I try to always give more than most do. I really mean that. I'm not saying that just to be heard. I really try to give more. And one way I give more is I actually talk to people. And any of you who have come to like real world events, 
you know that even recently, if I did an event, I remained approachable. Like a lot of people come to you know a, a thing and they do their presentation and they disappear or they have a little small click or whatever. Like I go to the bar, say, "Hey, I'm at the bar for the next four hours. Come hang out." And so I try to do the same thing in the virtual world. I, I hang out in the chat rooms or the Telegram groups or whatever, see what people are saying, and I offer my help. And, and a lot of times people don't even know who they're talking to. They don't realize I'm one of the presenters or whatever. I'm not known there, so you know it, it's actually better that way, I think. But because of that, I see things that disturb me. And the word to, to sum it all up is defeatism. In some of these groups, I wonder why these people are even part of any kind of a movement because they've already quit. They've already determined that Bill Gates is going to buy all the farmland. He owns most. I heard last night even the media is in on this kind of stupid shit, over overstating things. Bill Gates owns most of the farmland in the United States. Bill Gates owns a fraction of the farmland in the United States, single largest holder, and owns most of the farm. Different, different effing things, people. That doesn't mean it's not a problem, but if you have a problem. And instead of addressing the problem, you make the problem worse than it is, and you do that across 20 problems, it's no wonder these people might as well be sitting around, sucking their thumb, rocking back and forth like an autistic child saying, it's not worth it, it's not worth it, it's not worth it. It's the kind of thing that when you listen to it, you feel like you've gotten some kind of disgusting ick on you, and like, i got to pause this and go take a shower. So I realized that if I come on this podcast... And I respond directly to that in the counter-narrative of, of how ridiculous that is. I'm talking to the wrong people. I'm sure we get new people all the time. There may be people coming in that, that maybe need a little bit of that. And you'll get it. it to ask anyone that's been around here, the Jack Rants will continue. The Jack Rants will continue until morale improves, right? Um, but I also try to be the positive solutions-oriented individual. So today's show is 15 reasons I'm highly optimistic about our future. And let me tell you how this started. I was going to do eight, and when I got to my eighth one, I'm like, oh, wait. And it became 10, and then it became 12, and I stopped at 15 so the show wouldn't be two hours freaking long. It's not hard for me to think of reasons to be optimistic. It's actually difficult for me to think of reasons to be pessimistic about my future. Right? I'm optimistic about our future, but I'm extremely optimistic about my future. And the reason is, I don't control your future. I can look at the landscape and see all the opportunities that are out there for you to make a difference in your life and the lives of those you care about, but I can't do it for you. I, I've taught that way for so long. There's nothing new to anybody hearing that. But I know what I can do with the opportunities that are there for me, and I know I'm going to and do it. The only thing that's going to stop me from doing it is I'm going to die. If I get hit by a gravel truck or something like that, okay. And I'm a fatalist. I understand that that kind of shit happens, and I don't worry about it. Because i got too much living to do before that day, whenever that day comes. If it comes tomorrow morning, I, I get in my car and I decide to go somewhere, which is unlikely. I don't leave very often during the week. But if I do, and boom, the gravel truck hits me, metaphorically or actually, all I can say is I'm glad I dedicated the last 13 years of my life to this show. And all the things that happened because of it. For so many people, some I'll never hear from, never know. Right? I mean, that's how you got to live. And when I look at that and I think of the future, as long as that gravel truck doesn't take me out, and I look at these 15 things I'm going to give you today, I'm excited on fire. So we're going to have a great time. I'm going to do just those, just, just the list and my commentary on them on a live stream on YouTube today, so you'll be able to find that. 
you know, a couple days probably or a day after the this show goes live. I don't know how how. Well, I, the way it worked yesterday, it was immediate, but I couldn't download it. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm still learning with the YouTube live streams. And those of you that saw the one yesterday, which is now like last week or whatever, um, audio is soft. I'm learning. I'm learning. We all have to learn new things, and I think that's a that's a good thing. Uh, anyway, before we get into the 15 reasons that I am so optimistic and why you need to ignore toxic voices. Uh, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Western Botanicals. I love herbs. I spent a lot of my life researching and learning about herbs and natural remedies. When Western Botanicals approached me, I was like, that sounds great, but I don't know. Because there's so much snake oil and BS in the world of alternative medicine. So I looked at their site. I looked at their mission. I looked at what they were doing. I looked how they handled orders. I was like, yeah, these guys are great. Their, their, their goal is to put an herbalist in every home in America. You know what? They'll never achieve that, and that's why it's a noble goal. If you learn anything from that, set a goal you can never achieve, and then do your best to achieve it anyway. That's what Western Botanicals is all about. Learn more at westernbotanicals.com. Next up today, the Free State Project. If you're feeling like you're surrounded by toxic people, go somewhere like where like you, you, you're, you're surrounded by optimistic people all the time. That's the Free State Project. That's a whole bunch of people that went to New Hampshire to drag it against its will, kicking and screaming toward the world of liberty. You can learn more at fsp.org. And hey, how about this idea? It's a beautiful time of year right now. Up in New Hampshire, anyway. Gorgeous weather. Why don't you take a vacation? Go to fsp.org forward slash visit and H. And you'll learn how to do that. And it's really cool. You go take a vacation. And you just get in touch with them and say, I'm going to be taking a vacation. And, and they might be like, well, where are you going to go? And you might be like, I don't know. White mountains, I heard, are nice. Oh, they're gorgeous, by the way. right? But they might be like, well, what do you like? Well, here's the places you can go. And here's some people that you can meet with and talk to and hang out with. Maybe just go to the bar and have a drink with. Or, like, maybe you got kids and maybe, like, you can go somewhere where kids hang out and, like, have a play date or whatever it is for you, you know. So where it's more than just a vacation. It's actually a visit. That's a great productive way, double stack. And if you're actually thinking of moving, you own a business, so I know you can write that off. You can figure out how to do that. You cut a tax write off, visit New Hampshire, maybe find a new home. Even if you don't meet new people, you're going to hear today meeting new people, the right kind, is critical, even if you do not you know, like, like co-locate with each other. So check them out today. Again, fsp.org forward slash visit NH. All right, with that, guys, let's get into the main topic today. Again, I want to talk to you guys about 15 things that I'm incredibly optimistic about our future due to. But I also want to talk about, like, kind of how we got here and what I think you need to do to be able to really get the most out of all the things to be optimistic about, not just the things I'm talking about. I mean, I want to be clear, as I said during the intro, I started out, this was going to be eight things. And then I got to eight and I'm like, I got more. So it was like 10 things. And then I was like, oh, I got more. So it's like 12 things. And I'm like, I got another one. It's 13. I'm like, my OCD won't let me do 13. I got plenty more. So I got to 15. I said, you got to stop or the dadgone show is going to be two hours long. So I've got a ton of stuff to feel optimistic about. But this is coming from toxic voices in our communities. And I'm going to say communities, not community. I think... This community, the Survival Podcast community, is like the most optimistic, awesome group of people I've ever seen. But we are continuously reaching out, working with other communities, cross-pollinating, bringing people in. I did a lot of stuff this year so far. I'm going to keep doing more. 
and seeing the discussion, not really the presenters or anything in these other events, but like seeing the discussion of the attendees and the people that are like part of these movements, how negative they've gone and how much they're like, they're just sure that like, I don't know, Bill Gates and George Soros are going to break into their house and abduct them and inject them with 57 uh, shots and then like take over their house and microchip their face. Like, why are you even bothering? Like, we need to be optimistic. Now, I don't think I need to tell this community that. Now, there's going to be some peripheral people trickling in here and there that maybe do need to hear that, but mostly this community is solid. But what you do need to hear, get the hell away from the toxic people. You do not have time. Toxicity is like a cancer, guys. It really is. It is absolutely like a cancer. It will infect you. It will start pushing self-doubt into your life, and you don't have any reason to have that. Now, I also think we need to be honest about our challenges. You know, I can mock the people that are afraid of Bill Gates and George Soros breaking into their house and microchipping their face. It doesn't mean that those two particular people, and more importantly, the organizations that they're, you know, that they lead are a problem. The two of them could have their, their jets crashing each other and die tomorrow, and all the problems they create wouldn't go away, right? There's all sorts of problems in the world. But we control how we react to the things that affect our lives. And we control how we react to the things that do not affect our lives. So many people use all the negativity as an excuse for their own inaction. All the stuff I'm going to give you today is great reason to be optimistic. None of it's coming to save you. None of it's coming to save you. In any way, shape, or form. Your life will not magically get better because of any of this shit. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to use the things that are going on in the world to your advantage to advance your life. This podcast is actually uh, being categorized, categorized into uh, a group of podcasts that I've done over the years called The Insurrection. The Insurrection. You know, there's a lot of hype about the insurrection on the 6th of January. That's not an insurrection. The people that are afraid of that, man, if you guys... You guys better be careful. You ever see a real insurrection, you just going to crap yourself all over yourself, these politicians or whatever. That wasn't an insurrection. But there are many types of insurrections. But you notice I said an insurrection, not a revolution. All right? Revolutions are where you get a bunch of people really pissed off, and then they go kill one group of ass clowns and immediately turn around and install another group of ass clowns in their place and think everything's going to be better You know, now we have elections instead of those, but it's pretty much the same process. You clean house, you end up with a new group of ass clowns, you don't take charge of your life, you ain't got nothing. Insurrections take the power from the people who should have never had it in the first place and put the power back into your hands. And you don't always have to do that by, you know, guillotining them or anything like that. We can do that simply by making a decision about how we're going to use the advantages we have in our world. So here we go. Here's our, and it says 12 because I didn't even update it, but 15 things that have me incredibly optimistic. One, I was asking people on the live feed, like, give me some things. And, and many were talking about the weakness in fiat and cryptocurrencies and stuff. And it is in that vein, but it's very specific. El Salvador and, and soon-to-be other nations adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. This is, this is so much bigger news that I think people realize because I, I want to put it this way. There's a lot of naysayers in the world of like Bitcoin right now because it's crashing, it's crashing. If I would have told you <laughs> these naysayers, these people that have to crap on everything crypto, they have no idea what they're talking about. If I would have told you in like January of 2020, 
by June of 2021, Bitcoin will be in the mid $30,000 range. Uh, Elon Musk's Tesla, even if he says something stupid later, will have purchased over a billion dollars worth of it. There'll be this guy named Michael Saylor running around evangelizing it to other billionaires. Oh, and by the way, El Salvador will adopt it as legal tender within its nation and create a kind of a sanctuary nation for Bitcoiners. You'd have said I was flaming crazy. But now, because it went way up during this And you got to understand, like, cryptocurrency moves up in waves, and then it's always going to correct, and then it's going to move up in waves. It's the very nature of it. I can't get into that today. Like, this is totally expected. Nobody that has been around for any time in crypto was, like, shocked that it corrected down into the 30s. I don't correct if, I don't care if it corrects into the 20s, right? It doesn't matter to me, right? It doesn't matter at all. It means it's like I can get more every time I buy it. Um, but having a nation adopt Bitcoin is a sovereign currency is massive. And if you don't think the global banks are crapping themselves over this right now, you don't understand what it really means. And Paraguay is going next. Panama is going to go. Costa Rica is probably going to go. Ecuador is probably going to go. And I mean, how many do you need before you have enough nations that it starts to actually affect things? One already is already affected because you're creating a domino effect. This is going to be huge, and it's going to put pressure on other nations and sovereign states to at least be more friendly toward cryptocurrency. And cryptocurrency, one way or another, is the next evolution in our ability to be free of the banking system. That's what people just don't get about this. This is not about, well, it's better money. Like That's just part of it. Like, when I talked about silver and gold yesterday in Miyagi Mornings, people were like, yeah, but there's a way you can use silver the way you use cryptocurrency because you put your silver in this place and then they give you a Visa card. And, like, first of all, do you own one? No, then shut up. But, but I mean, second of all, that means you're putting your wealth in somebody else's hands. You've just replaced your intermediary with a different intermediary. And people say, well, like, how is that different if you're using, like, the Stripe Payments Network or whatever? Because you still hold your own money, fool, because you still have custody of it, because you still have other options. So I think maybe not toppling, but weakening the global banking system, if there's ever been a reason to be optimistic. I don't know what could make you more optimistic than that. And don't worry, we won't only be on cryptocurrencies today. Um, the next is... And totally unrelated, totally unrelated technology on this one. The continued, just explosive growth of people excited about homesteading, skill sets. And I mean across the board. I don't just mean like permaculture and tactical and gardening and stuff like that. And food stores. That's all great. Some of the most incredibly successful YouTube channels out there right now are how to cook. How to cook. Um... I don't. I can't remember what the guy's new pro home cooks. I think is what he calls himself now. They started out as Brother Green Eats, uh, Guga Foods, and his other channel sous vide everything. Uh, Alex the French guy. Like all these people are doing is teaching people how to cook, and they are massively successful. Do you know why? There's a thirst for knowledge for people to be able to do things for themselves, and a realization by our younger generation that we failed them. Thank God they figured out. I mean, I'm Gen X. We knew we knew the, the generation before us, fellas. They just left us home, and we had to figure shit out. So we knew. 
Y'all thought they were taking care of you because they were there, but if they didn't teach you how to make your bed, clean your damn socks, and make yourself a grilled cheese, you were failed. But you are grown-ass people now. Get out there and learn, and you're doing it. And I mean, if you look at some of the most popular content creators, they teach people how to do things. And again, I don't care what it is. Yes, the homesteading segment is through the roof, and that's tons of things. Like, you can't be a homesteader and not know how to cook. It doesn't work that way, right? And livestock uh, uh, husbandry and things like that. But just about anything. Look, look at the people that are successful that are teaching people how to do woodworking. Look at the people that are successful teaching people how to do metal metalworking and welding and fabrication, CNC, uh, three di three dimensional printing. Like people are becoming incredibly enabled from a skill set standpoint. We, we've rapidly started to transition from a nation where nobody can do anything to everybody can do a few really cool things. That's incredibly powerful. If you are pessimistic in a world where people are becoming actually more educated in a real way because to me knowing shit is one thing being able to do shit now you got something it's hard to be pessimistic when I'm watching 17 year olds learn to cook like a three star Michelin chef for their parents like that is freaking awesome and if you can learn to do that You can learn to use a privacy coin if we go back to cryptocurrency. You can learn to grow a garden. You can learn to take care of a chicken. You can learn how to work with your local food producers and buy from them. Because that's actually a skill. Because you actually have to do something other than drive to the grocery store and pick stuff up. Or pull up to the drive through window and go, I'd like some McNuggets, please. Right? There's actually a skill set there. Once you get people switched on to the fact that if I need to learn how to do something, I can, all bets are off. So that makes me incredibly optimistic. The next one is the sheer number of people hustling and gigging their way into financial independence. I mean, we have people using large platforms like Uber and Lyft and Grubhub and like delivering for Amazon independently and, and, and uh, using Airbnb or HipCamp as either places to stay or renting out places. we got people with a big piece of land that really didn't know what to do with it or like, I don't really have an income source here. And they put in like 10 glamping sites. And next thing you know, the property's paying for itself. But it's not just the gig economy. I can't tell you how many people I've met. Like I just met a guy. He's the coach of my grandson's baseball team. It turns out he's an entrepreneur, and he's not doing a tech business. Well, not really, directly, anyway. I'm like, well, what are you doing? He's like, I run an automotive repair shop. I'm like, well, that's cool. He goes, yeah, but I only do Toyotas and Lexus, right? So he's created this alternative for people to paying high dealership costs and having faster turnaround. His business is exploding. He's my age. He only set the business up a few years ago. So there are people from, like, high-tech information, content generation, to farming, to vehicle mechanics, like all across the board, that knowledge that we talked about in point two, people are taking that knowledge and figuring out, like, once I learn ten things that I didn't know, which one of those ten do I love and I'm really good at and there's a demand for? You make that Venn diagram and people are doing it and no one's telling them to. I mean, some of us are telling you guys to, but mostly people are just going, I see success, therefore I know success is possible, therefore I'm going to go after it. And I don't know, maybe it's just I run with a different crowd, so to say. Like um, When you start hanging out with entrepreneurs who are successful, they hang out with entrepreneurs that are successful. Maybe you don't all become like really great friends, 
But when you see what's really being done, when you see people building real wealth in their lives that are starting from nothing, we just, my nephew and I, my nephew runs kind of a, a content generation business as well. And uh, we were talking to a guy recently, he said, yeah, but you, one thing you need is startup capital. I'm like, you don't need startup capital. I started with a freaking $18 Plantronics headset and a $35 micro recorder doing a podcast. And my nephew's like, and I started with an iPhone and that's what I already had. Like, so there's so much opportunity and the fact that people are taking it The sheer number of people hustling and gigging their way to success. If you want a stable nation, you want as many of those people as possible. Next up, the accelerating growth of free speech-oriented platforms and content platforms. Um, I probably should be live-streaming this on Odyssey right now, and I'm not because I ain't quite figured everything out over there yet. And I do have a huge audience still on YouTube. But, man, my, my audience on Odyssey... Is exploding. It's explo It's 10% of what it is on YouTube, but I did it in 1% of the time. Um, Library put out, Library's the back, back side of Odyssey, the video platform for those that don't know that competes with uh, ScrewTube here. And uh, they put out a graphic today that shows the growth of their, not their, their total membership, total people with accounts, total number of people that are watching, but just the content creator curve. And it starts in like 2017 when they launched, and it's like really flat all the way, and it's slow growth. And they grew more from January 1st to today than they grew all the years combined behind with new content and new content claims on, on the site. They've exploded. Float is still a lot younger, but it's exploding. And, and, They've got the money and the backing to build the next generation social media platform, and people are coming over. You know, I do one little video about Float, and the number of people following me grows like by 500 people. Those are people willing to make a move, to make a change, to do something different. And it tells me that people are starting to wake up to the reality. It doesn't do me any good to sit on these legacy platforms and tell my truth if no one hears it or sees it. Because even if I'm not being censored, you know, when I talk to my brother, my uncle, my, my friends, etc., they never see any of the controversial things I post. Only the guy that hates me that wants to argue with me does. And so people are realizing it's not just about direct censorship. It's about control. It's about manipulation. It's about having your data sold. And slowly but surely, people are starting to leave and come over. MeWe's another great platform. They, they grew from, I think they were like 2 million users... Of, like two years ago. And they're somewhere approaching 20 million users now. 20 million is not chump change. It ain't Facebook yet, but it ain't chump change. And so just seeing that people are willing to try these other platforms to use them to start learning them and to realize, like, you know, you don't need Facebook. And I'm going to tell you how quick this can go. Way back in the day, I remember when almost everybody that got online would, you know, put a little pick a number and hit click and they'd hear dial up and they would hear you've got mail and then a little technology called DSL came along and I would have like friends calling me go hey I just had DSL put in it's so fast it's awesome but how do I get to my AOL and you know I had some pretty decent stock holdings at the time and I mean like with my broker like we need to get the hell out of this because this is about to fall apart into nothingness Because as soon as people realize they don't need it, they'll stop using it. And now AOL is like a, a crappy news site. Right? You went from being the almighty to a crappy news site, and it was gradually and slowly at first, and then overnight. 
This is what's going to happen with social media. Because no one really likes being censored. And if you censor all of the people from one side of a thing and they all leave, there's no more discussion. So people talk about the, these alternatives being echo chambers. The legacy is what's becoming the echo chamber because you can come to the alternative with any viewpoint, but you can only be in the legacy with the approved viewpoint. And the approved viewpoint in the world of 1984 keeps getting smaller. If we had nowhere to go, I wouldn't be optimistic. The fact that we do makes me extremely optimistic. In fact, I've been saying for years, Google, Twitter, YouTube, ban us all. Go ahead and get it over with and do it. Stab yourself in the stomach with your own sword and get it over with. Because you know you're going to do it. So you can't resist the power. And then, therefore, the power in time will weaken and maybe even destroy you. Makes me optimistic. How about this one? Um, the huge momentum of parents pushing back on wokeism in their schools. You know, critical race theory is getting all the uh, attention right now. But is that it? Is that the only thing that we really should be having a problem with in our school systems today? Is it really? Ha haven't we been indoctrinating children for a long, long time in our school systems? See, I think they overplayed their hand. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And I think a lot of parents that are just busy and tired, and it's all they could do, Get up in the morning, and if you got two or three kids, man, getting them all moving together, getting their socks and shoes on alone, getting them out the door, they all leave at a different time on different buses or whatever, or picking them up from school or dropping them off, like, all they could do was get that done, work their eight to ten hour day, and come home and try to put food in them, and try to spend a little bit of time with them before everybody went to bed to do it again the next day. And that, that meant that they didn't see what the schools were doing. But when they overplayed their shit with this COVID thing, when they sent all the kids home, parents got something they had never taken the time to see before, even though it was in plain view. A very, very honest look at what the schools have been doing to your children for a very, very long time. And women and men who had never attended a school meeting or a PTA meeting or had a, a meeting with a teacher other than one that was required decided, I've had enough of this shit. And they're speaking up and they're doing something. And no matter what they achieve, the fact that they are makes me extremely optimistic because I have a better solution than just pushing back on the school board. And, of course, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Uh, next up, I don't know about you guys that are maybe my age. And I, I, I try not to uh, generation bash. I know a lot of you guys in my audience are millennials. But when I say, like, your generation is full of pussies, you know what I'm talking about, because you're not, but they're all around you, aren't they? And uh, I, I want to be clear. I think there's a ton of really awesome millennials out there doing great things, and you guys make me optimistic, too. But Gen Y, which is the, the real young crowd now, like, remember, millennials now are, like, some of them are getting to be middle-aged, Right? They have, they have, they're, they're on heart medication now, right? Because they've been eating shitty diets their whole life or whatever. They have low testosterone from too much soy over 25 years. Um, and they're worried about their cholesterol. Like there's, there's, there's millennials on cholesterol medication. Like let's not mistake where we're at in the generational curve right now. We're in the fourth turning. We have the new generation, Gen Y, 
kids like my grandson, kids up to, you know, like high school age now are part of that Gen Y generation. They're, it doesn't matter that they're having this wokeism shoved at them. They're rejecting it. And do you know who they spend the most time with? See, kids don't spend the most time with their parents. They should. It'd be great if they did, but they don't because mom and dad are just slogging through trying to get shit done. Well, us old assholes now are Gen X. Gen X used to be the young group that everybody beat up. We're grandparents now. We're great uncles. We're uncles. We're, we're crusty younger siblings of, of baby boomer grandparents and stuff like that, right? And we're the ones spending time with these kids. We really are. And it's not because their parents don't want to. Again, it's because everybody's trying to earn a living. This is very traditional, isn't it? That grandparents and, and older folks spend time with the kids, like at least in between school and mom and dad coming home. Think about who we are. And it's, this is not some ego trip or anything, but just think, I'm talking about not me. I'm talking about the whole damn generation of Gen X. We're the kids, came home from school, no one was there. And we just figured shit out. Doesn't make us good or bad. It just is what it is. Now you've got this group of young people who think all of the stuff that's being thrown at them is nonsensical bullshit that are looking for alternatives and the people they're turning to to say, show me how, teach me how, tell me the truth are a bunch of sarcastic old bastards like me who have always just figured out things on our own because it's the only choice we had. And by the way, we did it before there was an internet, not because we wouldn't have used it, but because it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. We didn't have the option. There was no way that we could use something because it wasn't there. In fact, let me speak up you know, a little bit for millennials right now. The only reason that people don't think we of Gen X were even stupider than you guys in your younger days, in your mid-20s, early 20s, Is there wasn't an Instagram and a Facebook and shit like that? Because the stuff we did, if there was a photographic record of it, oh my God. So again, I'm not picking, I'm just saying like, these are these differences in generations. I really recommend everybody read The Fourth Turning and understand that the kind of, that's the cycle that we're seeing playing out now. You know, we are the children of the boomers who were the children of the, the, the World War II generation. You know, we were in that transitional phase and, We've, we've raised these millennials we bitch about. I mean, we need to bitch a little bit less since we're the ones that did it. Um, but we kind of just overcompensated, I think. And, and they're bringing up this Gen Y, and they're bringing up with all their wokeism and stuff. But kids are smart. Kids are smart. The reason it worked on you guys that are millennials, it was, it was incremental over time. So now your kids, they're just trying to put it all into them at once. So since they're not using incrementalism anymore, kids are like, no. Or turning. I mean, the young girls, man, they're being very feminine, etc. While we're trying to put women into sports, uh, men into sports as women because they wear a dress. Like, this is nonsense. This next generation ain't having it. Um, the fact that Gen X is the mentors to Gen Y, to me, that makes me very optimistic. Uh, again, I hope I don't bend a nose in the uh, millennial world for that because individuals are individuals and generations are averages. Uh, next up, um, I don't think there's been a time in history where you have had a greater ability to earn income by helping other people, whether it's with information, uh, whether it's by being a resource. No matter what it is, like you... You've never had a time where it was so easy 
to monetize your life. And not everybody's going to do it, and it's not right for everybody. But if you think about it, even though I'm a podcaster, what I've really done is monetize my life. I have a lifestyle business. And lifestyle businesses lead to incredible freedom. There's two ways that you can create freedom in your life, through your business, etc. And one is to make so much money that you can just do anything you want. And the other way is to make enough money to be able to afford whatever you need while doing what you want. And we have this incredible mix opportunity now because there's so much opportunity to build really large businesses. And when I say large, I'm not talking Amazons, right? I'm talking about, you know, three, four million dollar businesses, uh, like the gentleman I mentioned who runs the automotive repair shop, right? He's got employees. That's a, that's a bit, it's a small business in the world that we view from the, the, the top. But in the world of an individual just starting something and building an income out of it and being able to have an operational business, and have freedom because I can leave for a week and it just runs, that's a big business. That amount of money is a big business. Being able to make a few hundred thousand a year, though, or more, as a one-man show or maybe having a little bit of contract work done here and there, my God, it is, it is incredibly liberating. And if you can do it in a way where, you know, maybe I don't want to work on cars every day. But I do want to teach people. I do want to interact with people. I do want to go work with my garden. I want to work with my ducks. Like Being able to live that way, that creates freedom. And you might think, well, that gives freedom for one person. But see, every person that creates freedom for themselves becomes an example to others. And people tend to get closer to what they strive for than what they don't strive for. That's just how it works. So I think we went through a really long period of time under a belief system that either you were a giant corporation or an employee. We lost that entrepreneurial spirit, and we didn't see a lot of it around us. Today, because of the visibility created, because one of the best ways to market your business is to show what you do, people are seeing that this is possible. And you know, let's say for every 10 that try, one will succeed. About a 10% ratio of eventually they'll figure something out. And you have nine failures, and they'll go back to work or do something else. Well, all you have to do then to get more people liberated this way is get more people to see it so more people try. So if the number's 10% and you get 100 a day versus 1,000 a day, that's a tenfold increase. And that's what's going on right now. That's why you see so much happening. That's why you see so many people walking away from their jobs. Because they're developing this kind of freedom. And if that doesn't make you optimistic, man, check your pulse. Something's wrong. Like, you've been plugged into the matrix for way too long. You need to eat that red pill and get the hell out of it. Go down the slimy water slide, man, and meet Morpheus and get on with your living. Uh, because you, no matter how, this is his works, guys. Like, think of the matrix as an analogy. While you're laying there plugged into the matrix, being nothing but a battery through the system, your life force is draining. And when you come out of that matrix, your life force keeps draining. It doesn't stop. You have a battery that is your dash, right? How long you're going to live. And it's finite. We're mortals. And there's a point where you're going to cease to exist. They're going to lay you in the ground or set you on fire or who knows what, right? You're going to be gone. Every second you spend lying in that coffin in the matrix, having your life force sucked, is one less moment you have once you get out of it. Get out of it now, man. Lots of people are. If that doesn't make you excited, I don't know what will. Um, 
I think one of the things that makes me really excited right now, this, one of the things that's like the most negative for people, is the way the government responded to COVID. And I think a lot of people are like, you know, this is this is the new world order. It's the Great Reset, and and yeah, sure, but I don't know if you're really understanding this. Um, look what's happening. Even in countries you think we think of as being inherently socialist, like the UK, the UK has lockdowns that make the things that have gone on down in the gone in the United States look like a joke. Still, and because of that. They have, they have like multi-million person protesting going on. Because when one guy walks his dog, yeah, the bobbies will come out and arrest them. When a million and a half people take to the streets of London and say, he ain't doing it. It's kind of like that scene in uh, Tombstone, remember? Where Wyatt Earp tells uh, Sheriff Behan, I don't think I'm going to let you arrest us today. That's how that works. So instead of burning their own towns down, they're standing up for their freedom and their liberty. We haven't seen as much of it here in the United States because we haven't been as oppressed. That's encouraging to me because it means the harder they've oppressed people, the more of a response they've gotten counter to what they want. They overplayed their hand. How many, how many people, let me see, just give me a why in the chat on YouTube here. How many people, you live in a place where there was some sort of controls or lockdowns or whatever for COVID, and now there's still some semblance of restrictions, but no one gives two shits. I mean, some people do, but the majority of people just don't care, and they just go on about their lives, and the mask came off, and Fauci comes on TV and says, you can still have virus in your nasal pharynx. And he's like, screw you, and I'm going back to my life, and I'm living my life. Okay, as damaging as it was, look at all the why, yes, 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 right? All right, as damaging as it was to the psyche of the nation to be clamped down on like that and for these people to comply, do you know what happens to a person who's put in that position and reaches the point where they say, no, I'm not doing this anymore? It's over because I've determined that it's over. What happens the next time you try to clamp down on that person? They don't go through the same process again. Or if they do, it's very abbreviated. You know, I listen to these people. Well, you know, now you can go outside without your mask. If, like, if shit. I've been going outside with my mask without a mask forever. The only time I ever wore a mask during all of this crap was... When the grocery stores were being so Nazi that if I didn't do it, they would have thrown me out and had me arrested, and I absolutely needed something. Those two things had to go together. Or when the restaurants started back opening back up, and I was going to restaurants where I knew ownership, and I knew they didn't want to do it, and I was just like, you know what, okay, yeah, I'll wear a mask from the door to the seat, even though it's stupid. But I wasn't doing it to comply. I was doing it so I could buy stuff from somebody who I wanted to support. Now, when you put people through that process... No matter how long, and there's going to be the mass cares, there will be mass cares in 2030. And I'll ignore them the way I do now. And I will mock them the way I do now. But the vast majority of people, even in the United States, have decided, I'm done. Let me see why's again. Who's done? And I mean, you're done. You're just not doing this now. Let me see. I'm waiting a little for a little lag. There it comes. Here comes the stream, right? You're done. Boom. There it is. Boom. 
boom, boom, boom. People are done. You can, you can say whatever you want. They can do whatever they want. You're not going to comply, are you? You're just not going to do it. Man, that should make you optimistic. Sometimes tyrants make mistakes. They usually do because generally they're stupid. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Here's another great one uh, for polling the live audience. Who here, let's do a different letter this time or something. Uh, put, type me in for this one if, if you agree with this statement. Is, whether you've trusted the media or not in the past, today your trust in media, mainstream media, is at an all-time low. If that's you, put me in the chat for me there in the live stream. right? To me, that's, and here they come. Here they come. All capitals, right? Boom, boom, boom. Just on and on and on. Me, me, me. Oh, it's now, it, it looks like a stock ticker or something going now, but all for the same company. Uh, absolute zero, right? Definitely me. Me, hell. Uh, I stopped watching them a year ago, right? Like, look, this is, this is encouraging. Because what, do you guys realize that one of the chief mechanisms of control that the media has, The thing they use, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the power structure has is the media. This is how you get politicians elected. This is how you get politicians attacked. This is how you get laws passed. This is how you get laws repealed. This is how you manipulate a society. It's the, it's the most effective mass manipulation tool in history. And up until a couple of years ago, even though some of us were awake and understood that it was all bullshit, 90% or more of people believed that the majority of what you heard in the news was at least based on truth. And that's why it was so effective. Now people are like, it's bullshit. Even people that take at, up the opposite side, they still know the media's bullshit. They've literally so overused their control mechanism, they broke it. And it can't be fixed. It can't be put back together. Journalists are now... YouTubers and people that are doing videos on Odyssey and Float. Tim Pool's a better journalist. If you guys know who Tim Pool is, he's a better journalist than anybody on CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News. When you talk about pure journalism, digging, drilling down and finding out what actually happened, he's better than anybody the three biggest networks in the news media have, and he's one guy with a, like a beanie cap on freaking YouTube. And he's one guy. They have lost control. They will never get it back. The world is a decentralized model at this point. You can ban shit from the App Store. People know how a browser works. You can ban shit from the Internet. IPFS is going to take over the world. The world is becoming ungovernable and uncensorable. And in a world like that, it is natural that people would suspect any centralization to be untrustworthy. People know the truth now more than they ever have at any time in history. And I know some of you guys are going to be like, yeah, but I mean, I know my uncle or my... Yeah, fine, that's the minority. If you don't think it's at least 55% of people believe the media deserves absolutely no trust at all, look out your window, and it's a much bigger number than that. That is incredibly optimistic for me when I look at a world like that, where people are beginning to think for themselves because now we have to do the thing we should have always done. You guys know what it is? What should we have always been doing? Relying on each other. We have to rely on each other. We have to actually discuss. See, once you know you can't trust the media 
And they do point something out, and you hear it or you see it or whatever. Instead of screaming you're an asshat at each other, when you know you can't trust it, but it might be true anyway, the only thing you can do is get together and talk about it and hash it out. You know they say don't discuss religion and politics? When I was a little bitty kid back in the 70s, and my grandfather took me to coal miner bars, all those old crusty-ass coal miners talked about religion, politics, and everything else. They disagreed, they yelled at each other and all, but nobody punched anybody in the mouth unless they got really out of hand. And eventually people figured things out. They worked together. Then they brought this wonderful thing called the Internet in, but they separated us all, and they made people forget that you can get punched in the mouth, and nobody had an incentive to be decent with anybody anymore, especially when they had an opposite opinion. Then you could immediately have a gang just because you had a following, and we lost it all. And that's why the media was able to take over so effectively with total control, with a mass delusion of 600 channels and you have unlimited choice, but only six companies own them all. They had it all. To be blunt, they fucked it up. They ruined it. They peed in their own pool until the pool's actually yellow now. No one's getting in anymore. They killed it. They turned it into toxic soup. And they did it in such a way that everybody smelt the stink of the toxic soup. Next up, um, the pioneering work being done with regenerative agriculture and how well it actually works. Total different thing. The fact that when, when somebody says to me, but, you know, um, we can't fix the planet with animals. And I can go, well, look at this, 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 look at that. That one over there, that one over there. Here's one in my backyard. Check this out. It's over there. I could give you a thousand YouTube channels of people going, look at my backyard. Look at what I've done. Everything from people that are managing a thousand head of cattle to people with a small flock of chickens. And everywhere it's done consistently, it works. We cannot fix our planet if we ignore how we screwed it up. Okay? We can't. I want you to imagine this. Let's say there's a place in Africa right now that's still pretty much wilderness. This lets people pull themselves out of their preconceived biases. Right? And in that place, there's wildebeest and cape buffalo and all kinds of uh, herbivore animals that are grazing. And there's lions and leopards and other predators and They're constantly following the herds, and they move the herds around, and they, they graze an area, but they never graze it for too long, and they never split up, because when you split off, you get chomped. You get your chocolate, man. The, the, the big black mane male lion comes out and breaks your neck, so your only hope is to stay together. That's how nature works. And I think anybody would look at that ecosystem, and that's beautiful. Maybe not for the gazelle that got his, his head chopped off today, but overall, it's a beautiful ecosystem. Now let's say that evil bastard humans go in there and we're like, we start building houses everywhere. Okay? And then we're like, hey, I don't want to get eaten by the lion or the leopard or, or, you know, what have you. So we start killing all the predators. And then we start planting food. And then all the wildebeests come and start eating our, our gardens and eating our cornfields and eating our wheat fields. So we kill all them. And then the ecosystem degrades. And somebody says, I know we should fix it. Let's get rid of all the animals that are left and plant nothing but cornfields and soybean fields. And then let's live off the corn and soy. And you were old enough that you'd been there through the whole thing and you remembered it before they messed it up. And their solution was to do more of the same. You'd say, this is stupid. you got to put it back to as close to what it was before you screwed it up if you want to fix it. You can't keep doing more of what caused the damage. You have to do less of what caused the damage. 
And everybody looks around and says, yeah, I'll get on board with that. That sounds like a good idea. If they start saying, well, here's what we're going to do. You know that that uh, that Joe Tiger guy, whatever he is, the, the, the nut job in Oklahoma. I think he's in jail now. We're going to go like to his place and all the other places, and we're going to get a whole bunch of like predators and let them go in the backyard to replace the predators so that there's something to manage and control the animals. I think most people would be like, um, no, <laughs> no, I don't want a pride of lions in my backyard eating my children. I, 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 I'm all for, you know, nature reserves and all, but like there's got to be some room for some of us, and maybe some of us live on the edge and we're willing to, but in the edge, or I mean, in the eventuality, we've got to like have some level of like control. And in the United States, it would be wolves that were the main predators. So they're not that likely to start killing you, but they might kill your dogs or your livestock or whatever. That could be a problem. And if we replace 50 million bison that are gone, right, how's that going to work? The, the number of people that die every year in vehicular collisions with bison will exceed the global deaths from real COVID really, really quick. Like, we can't do that either. But what we can do, we can take ruminants like cattle, like bison, like red deer, like elk, all types of animals. We don't have to only raise uh, cattle. We can raise pigs. We can raise goats. We can create little leader follower systems. We can take all these damaged ecosystems, and we can holistically graze and rotate and mimic that, and we can put more carbon in the soil that way than any natural system other than like shallow marine systems. Because what you're, you're doing that is you're creating a savanna ecosystem. And if you're worried about carbon, is the, the, the way you can sequester the most carbon, the fastest known to humanity other than shallow marine systems. And so if we're not going to put shallow marine systems across the whole country, because we don't have marine across the whole country, maybe that's what we should do. The fact that it works, and you can prove that it works, and it is undeniable that it works, right? That is incredibly optimistic as far as I'm concerned. And because... Anybody can do it. It's what I love about cryptocurrency in another way. The fact that you can build a cryptocurrency, even if it fails, but you could, you can build a technology for existing cryptocurrency, you can build on an existing platform, and that anybody anywhere who takes the time to learn can do it, that is incredible. And the fact that anybody that really wants to can get into the regenerative agriculture game is insane to me. And when you say, but I don't have money for land, you can go lease land and learn the skill of managing cattle and pigs or chickens, or whatever it is. You can lease land incredibly cheap because you don't need great land to start, and you can develop the skill, and you can develop the revenue stream, and you can develop the income, and then you can get your own land, and you can do it there. Anybody can do it, and it works. And it's, it is a skill. It does, take, it does take time. So don't misconstrue what I'm about to say. But it's not hard. And what I mean by it's not hard is it's not like Only certain people can do it. See, to me, that's what's hard, right? It's something that's it's it's simple, right? But it's not easy is another way to look at it. It's simple, but it's not easy. But what that means is anybody who will take the time and really wants to can do it. And it is the single most regenerative, restorative thing we can do for our environment. And you've got all these young people out here that care about the environment, but they think a tax will fix it. They think free college and taxing giant corporations that are going to pay for their free college will fix the problem. Eventually, a segment of these young people goes, yeah, that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't track logically. And their younger siblings have already figured this out in Gen Y. Like, no, 
No, that that doesn't make any sense because they got old crusty bastards like me taxing their allowance to teach them how taxes work, right? And then buying them things they don't want with their own tax money and giving it back to them just to get it driven into their skull. And they're like, well, I care about the environment too, but you know, Grandpa Jack seems like he's got a handle on this. Look at all this beauty back here. And look at what the neighbor's yards look like in comparison. It's too powerful. It's too strong. And it works too well. And it's it's infinitely accessible. And any of you that want to do it, that are making excuses, do me a favor. Stop that shit right now and go figure out how to get it done because you can. And you will be helping everyone if you build success in that world. In fact, that's a bonus for you. All the shit I'm giving you, any one of them, or any group of them you pick and build success in your life, you're not just helping you, you're helping other people. The fact that I can, that some redneck hippie duck farmer in a gulag t-shirt, right, can come up with 15 things that all 15 of them, you pick any one or any group of them and you go do something with it and you have success in your life, you'll actually make the place better for other people too? Come on, if that doesn't make you optimistic, again, check your, I don't know, hold a mirror in front of you. Make sure you're not, like, you know, dead people and you don't know you're dead. Good Lord. Um, next. The people that are willing to relocate for freedom are incredibly inspiring to me. And it's happening now in droves. And again, I think it was part of overplaying the hand of COVID, but I think... The only way you got that deluge of people leaving Los Angeles, leaving Seattle, leaving Portland, leaving New York, leaving, you know, freaking Cleveland, leaving Philadelphia, leaving, you know, uh, Maryland, like, the only way you got that, there had to be an underlying existing discontent. You know, there had to be something that all you needed was that last little push, and it sent people over the edge, and this just happened to be the thing. I bet if anybody's in the chat that you moved during COVID, but you were going to anyway, you just went faster, and there's only like 100 people in there. Type me in, we'll see if there's anybody. Like, even if it's one out of 100, that's pretty justifying of what I'm saying there. Like, it was the last straw, I gotta go, I gotta get the hell out of here, and you went ahead and you got it done. One of the greatest strengths that the United States has is the republicanism model, which has been largely, you know, neutered in many ways, but it still exists. And COVID showed people that it exists. Because your life in Texas, trust me, was much better than your life in New York during the last year and a half. And not just for COVID, but for other reasons. Like, I promise you, if you have a business in downtown Fort Worth, and you have a homeless person taking a shit on the, you know, outside your front door, you are in every way. There's me, me, me. So there's plenty of people that pass that last litmus test, right? But you are empowered in every way to get that person off your porch, and they will come, and I mean, I would prefer another solution to law enforcement, that's what we have, they will come arrest their ass. And if you push them off your porch and don't let them crap, they won't come arrest you like they will in L.A. Why the hell would I build a business in L.A. when that kind of thing could happen, or San Francisco, when that kind of thing could happen, and I have no recourse, when I could build a business in Tallahassee or Fort Worth and not have it happen? People being willing to identify that and disrupt their lives massively to seek freedom through migration within their own nation. Oh, I, I know that a lot of you guys have followed me and I predicted the exodus from the city years ago. 
So you know there's a certain amount of personal satisfaction there. But that's not what this is. That is realizing where they've gone and what they do when they get there. And, and I keep hearing the alarmism from, again, the defeatist crowd that started this whole discussion today. They're going to come to your state and turn it into a liberal hellhole. We just did a study on this here in Texas, and the people that come here from outside the state that vote, because some don't, I don't, right, but the ones that do, they break two-to-one Republican over native Texans because they came here for a reason. They didn't come here because land was cheaper. They didn't come here because, you know, the way that that did happen in a lot of places where people are like, oh, I can buy land cheaply in, in Montana, I'll go do that, right? So rich liberals went and bought land. That's not what this is. This isn't people buying a piece of land somewhere and retiring there. This is people that are like, the hell with this. I'm not doing this anymore and moving to where they can breathe more freely. And that takes sacrifice. Because how many of you guys over the years told me when I said, where are you? Get the hell out of there. Oh, I can't. It's hard. I'll leave my family behind. And all of your objections were valid. I just often said, I think some of you, even though your objections are valid, your life will improve so much, it's worth the sacrifice. So you should understand, those of you that stay put and really don't want to, but it's the sacrifice, how big that sacrifice is for literally millions of people in this last year that did it. And maybe that will encourage more people to do it. Because I'm all for people living however they want to, as long as they leave other people alone. And I think republicanism is one of the modern ways, we, and I don't mean Republican Party, for those that need initiating, but republicanism as it exists within the United States. It's one way we have in modern times to do that. If you want to live in a collectivist shithole, fine. Just don't bother me. And that used to be the attitude of most people in America. And it didn't matter if it was collectivism. It didn't matter what it was. You do what you want. You leave me and the people over here alone, and we'll have no problems. You know what that's called, friends? That's called liberty. You cannot have liberty in your life unless you're willing to let other people live on their own terms as long as they don't interfere with you. I think people are waking up to that. That, that has me really, really optimistic. Um, next is, the establishment doesn't even understand what's happening. We have to stop believing in hyper-competence. You know what? Mark Zuckerberg and his technical teams are really good at building algorithms to do something. It doesn't mean that they're hyper-competent at ruling the world. If you, if you want to think about the myth of hyper-competence, look at the potato salad in chief that's running the country today. Do you think that administration is hyper-competent? But the, in number two place they have, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, that doesn't seem like there's a lot of competence there, does there? So we have to understand that there is not a hyper-competent government. There is not a hyper-competent tech sector. There is not a hyper-competent oligarchy. What you have are a bunch of power-hungry bastards who built the greatest machine to control society ever in the form of the media, and as we discussed earlier, ruined it for themselves. And now they're ruining their media platforms. They're ruining what they think is new media. You know, in, in 2021... If something's more than 10 years old, it's not new anymore. You know, Facebook and Twitter, you're not new media. You're old media, and you're ruining, you're trying to hang on. And the way they're censoring people now, 
That's why you've seen them. I think they're starting to figure out a little bit where they're starting to back off just a little bit because they're realizing, like, shit, people are leaving. And this is something really important to understand. Like, this is a big trap. I talked about this in Miyagi Mornings today um, for corporations like Twitter and Facebook that are public corporations. In our society, you must grow. If making $200 billion or $2 trillion or whatever was good enough last year, it's still not good enough this year. You have to grow year over year over year over year over year to survive. So not only have they become so gargantuan that that alone is difficult, now they're shitting on the people that got them there. They're creating their own exodus. They're creating their own problem. And like I said, people talk about, you know, what they call alternative social media, which to me is just new social media, right? The new standard as being an echo chamber. We're not the echo chamber. Anybody's welcome. Anybody's welcome on float. Anybody's welcome. Come on over. We might tell you you're an idiot if you want to bring your big government ideas there, but you're welcome. But we're not welcome there. They purge us. For all I know, I've tried to be kind of careful with this live stream on YouTube. This one could get taken down. I don't know. I'm running out of strikes. I could be gone any day. Go ahead, Gulag, do it. I don't care. You know, it'll cost me, honestly, it'll cost me a couple grand a month if I lose my YouTube account. But I'll risk it because if it's, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth risking for. And I'll use this platform that I'm on right now, those of you that are watching me on it, to tell the truth until they stop me permanently. But I'm building something else somewhere else. And they don't get it. They think they've actually silenced For instance, a Stefan Molyneux, when they kick him off YouTube. They don't understand the guy's building presences everywhere else. They don't understand that, like, what's happening now. This is part of what I think some of you guys that are not as optimistic as me. You need to learn something in your life. Patience. Patience. This is the very early stages of people looking out and saying, I'm not okay with the way things are, and I'm going to pick this one thing that I can do, and I'm going to build it. This is the early stages, you know, where we've already had the pioneers, like a Mark Shepard in regenerative agriculture, but he's inspiring hundreds of young people to say, whatever it takes, if I can live in a yurt for a year, I'll live in a That's patience. That's patience. i got to tow a crappy trailer up on the property and figure out how to keep myself from freezing to death in my first winter, but I'm going to get through it, I'm going to learn this skill, and I'm going to build this farm, that's patience. You know, a, a, a Kingsley Edwards that says, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with, with censoring speech. So instead of bitching about it, I'm going to go build a new platform. That's somebody with patience. And while people are doing things, pick something to do too. Do that, have patience with yourself, and have patience with everybody else, and understand this is a journey. We don't live in the microwave society people have become accustomed to where you can just make something overnight. When I was a little kid one time, I, I was at a, a diner where my grandmother worked, and she asked me if I wanted a piece of pie, and I said yes. And she said, do you want it heated up? And I said, well, how long will it take? Because you know you're a kid, you're not very patient. She goes, not long. And in like 20 seconds, I had this steaming hot piece of pie in front of me. I'd never seen a microwave, and I was like, wow. We've lost being impressed with things happening quickly, and we don't even know what quickly is anymore. We've lost patience. These things are coming. Have patience, but don't wait. 
See, patience is one thing. Waiting is another. Waiting is, I'll sit here until somebody else does it. Patience is, I'll do the work, but I'm willing to not expect the results to come anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, in, in summation, I, I really feel that the establishment does not recognize what's happening. They don't understand this type of a movement because they can't. And one of the things I picked up reading, one of, actually one of Brad Thor's books, believe it or not, uh, which is more on espionage and stuff like that, he's kind of in the vein of like a Tom Clancy type thing, was in one of his books he mentioned how evil will always seek to possess beauty. So really crappy people will buy really exquisite art or they'll want to buy a home with a gorgeous maintained garden or something like that. And the reason that they'll want to do that is Evil may be able to possess beauty, but they can't create it. And the kind of people that think in this centralized, top-down, we'll control all of them and they'll do what we say because they have to mindset, they can't understand people that just go, no. And as we discussed earlier, how many people, you know, as you guys come back, I, I, for those on the podcast, I lost the feed due to an issue. Um, how many people hit their no? During this COVID shit, we're just like, no, I'm not doing it. And they don't understand that. If they had understood that in advance, they wouldn't have went so far, so fast, so hard. Because the blowback is going to be extreme. Um, next up, the absolute explosive growth of homeschooling. This is like the thing that has me jazzed more than anything else that's going on right now. The fact that so many parents said, I'm going to homeschool my kids. And as you guys know, when COVID started and they closed the schools, I said this would happen. And I picked, I predicted numbers, and those numbers have been met and exceeded. It was so much more than I expected. What I thought would happen, and it did, there was just more. What I thought would happen is, you know, Bill and Sue would have, you know, Johnny and Janie home from school and see that they did pretty well at home, and then think, well, if I have to have them at home anyway, why don't I look into alternatives? And that did happen. And that was a big part of this. But what happened more we alluded to earlier. They got a look at the education that they thought they were providing their children and realized what it really was. I know there's a lot of great teachers out there, but there's also two other kinds of teachers out there right now. Because you've got great teachers that are great in spite of everything. And God bless you if you're one of them. You've got teachers that could be great, but the system has beaten them down, and they've given up. And they're phoning it in. And you've got teachers that are absolutely incompetent, and they shouldn't be educating a dog how to lick its butt, let alone educating your child. And that's just true in any profession. If you go to mechanics, you got great mechanics, mediocre mechanics, and crappy mechanics. The difference is, a crappy mechanic doesn't make any money and gets fired. And you great teachers that are great in spite of everything, you know you've got them on both sides of you, the crappy ones, and you get paid the same as they do. Parents saw that and said, uh, no, I don't think so. And they found all these wonderful programs where you realize that like a school like Excellus, where my, my, my grandson attends, they can find the very best teachers for the one thing that teacher teaches. The absolute best. 
And they can scale them to thousands of students instead of 20 or 30. And parents are like, wait, this is affordable and it's better. And my kids are excited when they learn. I, I need to do a video one day of my granddaughter. She's not even old enough to be in school school yet. And we do like out school classes for her. And she sits down in front of that screen that's supposed to be like, all the TVs tell you, distance learning doesn't work. Not if somebody shitties on the other end of the screen, it doesn't. But my granddaughter sits down to learn about a different country or a different animal or something. She is through the roof excited. She's so happy to learn because kids want to learn. The fact that parents have seen this, recognized it, and have said, I'm not letting you have the privilege of having my child under your supervision and education anymore. I'm not doing it. I'm done. I'm out. Has me incredibly optimistic. And it's millions of people. The school we're using, when the like the school year restarted, we had trouble like getting in and they're like, we're building like we're building out like half a segment of a co-located data center right now. Give us a bit, we'll get it fixed. We we just we were not prepared for the number of people. That's one option. It's one option. And homeschoolers By and large, they produce kids that either go to college and excel or they start businesses. Yes, public schools are very good at sending young people to college. It doesn't mean they excel when they get there. It doesn't mean they do well when they get there. It doesn't mean they get through. Homeschool is very good at sending the right children to college to do well and to creating entrepreneurs and self-motivated learners that do other pathways because they, they come at it with a different perspective. Not I'm going to college because I'm supposed to go to college. Most homeschool kids, when you talk to them, go to and plenty of them do. I, I interviewed one young man homeschooled his whole life, went to Harvard. This whole idea that they won't get to college is stupid, it's nonsense, it doesn't matter. But when they get to that point, they're like, well, which path's best for me? And man, that's the generation that I want in charge of things when I really am an old man, you know, uh, hitting another old man with a Metallica shirt on because I think that Megadeth was better in an old folks home. Right, like that's who I want in charge. That's who's going to be in charge. These kids that are being raised now and being taught to think for themselves has me incredibly optimistic. Um, the overall growth of agorist thinking. I talked about all the entrepreneur stuff and everything that's going on, but you you can't go there and not go a little bit further. Sure, you can be an oligarch that has built your business off hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars of government money. And you can be a big government liberal. Because that's how you got what you have. But you can't go out in the world, start with absolutely dog shit nothing, and start just chopping down the obstacles. Something's in your way, I'll cut it down. Back when I was in sales, I had my own personal headhunter. And he was talking to a company that was interested in hiring me. And they said, well, why should we hire Jack? And he said, if the door's closed, he'll take off the hinges. He'll get you into anywhere that you want to get into. Now, he might need some help once you get there, but if you need somebody to get you in and talk to the right person, he'll get in. That's how it, that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur today. Maybe you're not trying to get in and talk to somebody, but whatever's in the way, it must be either blown up, cut down, climbed over, tunneled under, chopped down, whatever. You've got to get rid of it or around it, and you've got to make something happen. When you build success that way in your life, you start to realize How big a theft it is, the government says, well, we're entitled to half of that because you didn't build that. You realize how nonsensical that argument is. You realize, like, you weren't here helping me do this shit. So you're like, no. 
And even if you do everything legally, right? Even if you do everything legally, you do it better legally. You start doing what I always say to do. 95% of the tax code is how to get out of doing what the 5% that tells you what you have to pay says. You start saying to yourself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a tax attorney and a CPA. And I'm going to figure this shit out, and you're going to get less of my money. That makes me incredibly optimistic. That makes me incredibly optimistic. See those oligarchs and all? They don't pay tax either. But they have other people do it all for them. They live in a la-la land, a fake world, a non-reality world. That's like what I said earlier. They don't understand what they've done because they don't live in the world where they did it. They live in this little bubble over here. There's this vast landscape of diversity, real diversity of humanity, all trying to figure things out in different ways, all making progress in different ways. And when they completely screwed up their control mechanism of that group, they don't even know it's happened yet. They don't even know it's happened yet. But when the person makes that change for themselves, they become an agorist. Meaning not so much an anarchist, which that's pure agorism is anarchy. But what I mean by that is they become ungovernable and unstoppable. If you put a regulation in front of them, the first thing they say is, how can I get around it? See, when a person hasn't made that switch, when somebody, like, I think it would be a good idea to do this. And somebody says, well, you can't do that because, and they're like, well, shit, I better go do something else. But once a person's made that switch, you put a thing in, it's, it's a game. It's a game. Well, then, well, I, I can't do it if I call it this. Well, what if I call it that? And you got an attorney going, well, maybe. But if you also added this, and then you call your buddy up and go, hey, I'm thinking, and then all of a sudden you are doing something that technically you're not supposed to be able to do, but you're doing it technically legally. That's a Gore's thought. And I don't want them to have one penny more of tax money than, I don't want them to have any, right? But I, I definitely don't want them to have one penny more than they're actually entitled to. And I want people to know how much they're entitled to keep and know how to structure things so they can keep even more. And apparently a federal judge agrees with me, some, some case against the IRS. He said it was literally a business's patriotic duty to pay, a little in tax, pay as little in tax as possible. Learned that last week. You learn, even I, you learn something new all the time if you're, if you're learning all the time. And uh, I'll just fulfill my patriotic duty and give those bastards as little as possible. I want to starve the beast. I want to starve the beast. And it turns out there's tremendous ways to take your income and invest it or channel it or use it or structure it in certain ways where the book that says what you have to do says you don't have to do it anymore. I'm talking about totally legal methodology here with agorism, but I'm also talking about, you know, selling some eggs over the fence, giving people rides, making things for people. You guys take it from there. It's an incredible, incredible growth in that sector. And if you think back, like, we have so much respect for our grandparents, if you're my age, or your great-grandparents, if you're younger, and their parents, who lived through the Great Depression and World War II. Let me tell you something about those people. They were side-hustling agorists their whole lives, because they had to be. We're entering a world for a turning where we have to be again. And seeing people do it, very, very encouraging for me. And my last one is of this thing I keep alluding to, the fourth turning. History has shown this is where we're supposed to be. This kind of passing of things through generations and this growth in control and then the rebellion and the pushback, it happens over and over and over and over and over again. 
And that makes us actually really able to see what part of the cycle we're in. And I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture. We're in a part of this cycle where there's going to be some pain and discomfort. And honestly, some people won't make it out the other side. But I'll just put it to you this way. And uh, I'll go back to my people here on the YouTube feed again. We've got like 62 of them back, so that's good. Um, if you're going to be the first lion, type a one in. And if you're going to be the second lion, type a two in. The first lion lives on the Serengeti. Eventually one of his sons could come back and kill him. He has to go out and hunt every day. He has to kill the wildebeest who, who might actually kick him in the face and kill him. But he gets to live like a lion. You can be that lion, or you can be a lion in a zoo, and they'll feed you every day. Do you want to be lion one or lion two? And I want to be lion number one. I'll take the risk. So when you tell me that not everything's going to be perfect, and it's not all going to work out really fast, I'm going to remind you that I said to have patience. And you might remind me that along the way of having that patience, of doing that work, that something bad could happen to me. I'm not unaware of that. I'm okay with it. I wouldn't want it any other way. I am not somebody's pet. I am not an animal to be kept in a zoo and looked at once in a while for amusement. I am not a cattle. I am not a, a cat, you know, a member of a, a, a cow that's a member of a herd. I'm not a, a unit of cattle. Like the Maasai cattle, to be milked and bled, which is how your government views you. That is not who I am. And if that comes with risk, so be it. So be it. Good. Because life would be freaking boring otherwise. If I wanted safety and security, I would submit to the masters. I'd still have a job in conventional business. I'd probably have more money than I do today. I'd probably be out fishing right now instead of talking to people and making a difference in the world. That's boring. That's boring. It's meaningless. And the second that I figured out I was wasting my dash doing it, I stopped. I took risks. Made mistakes along the way. But in the end, I found success. Because when you don't have a choice, sooner or later you do. That's the way it works. And that's the world we're moving into today. While all the people in power are promising, if you'll just kneel, if you'll just comply, if you just do what they ask, they'll only hook the milking machine up to you once a day, and they'll make sure you're fed, and that you're clothed, and that you're so-called educated, right, and that you're housed, and you get veterinary, I mean medical attention, that you'll get all of that if you'll just comply. And they always thought that if they could get to the point where they could make that promise and have any possibility of even getting close to fulfilling it, that the majority of people would kneel. Turns out, it's not working out that way. Every day, more people stand up. Every day, more people reach their point where they say, no, I'm done now. I'm not doing this anymore. And there is a point in a movement called critical mass. And when you're talking about a nation of 300 million people, it's very easy to not realize you're hitting it, that it's happening in front of you right now because we live in the microwave society and we want that piece of apple pie in 20 seconds piping hot. 
folks, you're going to get your apple pie. But it's a one and a half year old tree right now. Tree has to grow. It has to produce the apple. It has to be ready to pick. It has to be peeled. It has to be sliced. It has to be baked. It has to be made into a pie. But every apple pie that was ever made eventually got made because somebody planted a seed or grafted a twig. It always starts out small. But it always reaches a point where the canopy spreads and the windfall alone exceeds what you can use. That's where we are. That's where we are, and that's why I'm optimistic. So with that, guys, uh, I hope me playing around with live streaming here hasn't made it um, a little bit disruptive to the show. Hopefully it's made it better. Uh, interacting with people in real time uh, kind of amps me up a bit. So hopefully you guys got a good shot in the arm today. I want to remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping simply starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Item of the day today is one that I found because I got tired of buying canned air to clean my computer. And occasionally my computer needs to be cleaned or bad things happen. Yours probably does too. Uh, I'm talking about desktop computers here. You... Uh, You have the little fan whirring in there, and it pulls dust and dirt and debris in there. It starts clogging up your processor. You ever hear your computer start to go, like that? That's, that's bad. That's fixing to burn up and die. You need to take the cover off. You need to blow it out. Uh, and most, like many hand blower things for doing this, you, you might as well get a soda straw and blow with your, with your breath. I mean, they just don't have. I have one on the website made by a company called X-Power. This thing will blow for real. I mean, it will clean every aspect of it. And I use it in my shop all the time, too. Like when I'm doing woodwork or something, I got, like, dust all over the, the bench. I just I don't vacuum it up. I don't use a shop vac up on the bench. I just blow it all off, and I'll make my grandson sweep the floor up, and then it's really easy to get rid of it that way. But, boy, cleaning tools and everything, this thing is awesome. Again, it's made by X-Power. comes with multiple attachments, and you can use it for, like, inflating rafts and air mattresses and stuff like that, too. I know some people think you can use a blow dryer for this. doesn't work worth a damn. This thing is purpose-built. It is amazing. Check it out. You can find it at tspaz.com. And remember, you can stay in touch with everything I do if you follow me on social media and if you get on the uh, Telegram channel. If you get on the Telegram channel, whenever a new item of the day comes out, you'll know within minutes that it came out. And that way, some of them sell out. You won't miss the opportunity. Also, you can help support this show by becoming a member of the MSB. Just go to thesurvivalpodcast.com and click on members or slash members. That'll work for you, too. And uh, you can sign up. You'll get a bunch of discounts. It'll pay for your membership, and you'll support the show at about 18, points an ep 18 cents an episode. With that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up with our song of the day. This song could not be more perfect for this show, and once again, it happened with you know background universal synchronicity with John Adam picking the songs, because I don't pick the songs most of the time anymore. It's called Prodigal, as in the Prodigal Son, and it's by uh, a, a band called Blacktop Mojo, and I keep wanting to say Moho, because if it was Spanish, it would be Moho, but when I looked it up, apparently it's Mojo, M-O-J-O. -O. Never heard of these guys before, they're amazing. And this song, just the sound of it, the emotion in it, the arrangement, the guitar, etc., is one of the best songs I've ever heard. If it wasn't for the, the messaging and the ideology uh, conveyed in it, it would still be amazing. But if you think about the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son was a young man in the Bible. A rich man had two sons. 
And one son wanted his inheritance now instead of when his father passed. And he wanted to go off and examine the world and live his life. And the father gave the son the money. And in only a few short years, he had to return home. And there's a big lesson in that, but that's not what this song's about. But it uses that imagery. It uses that concept. It says, don't call me the prodigal son because I'm not coming back. I'm going out on a journey that I know will never end until the day that I die. And it, it really is a very intelligent song in that it, it, it invokes other symbolic things. Like it doesn't use the word, but it invokes Icarus. Who's Icarus? Icarus was the, uh, the guy that, you know, strapped, uh, some, some feathers and, Uh, strings and sticks on his back to make wings and melted them all together with wax and tried to fly to the sun until they melted and he fell from the sky. And so he, there's, a, there's some, a stanza in this about, you know, string and sticks and feathers and wax, and that's what that's about. And you'd have to know the story to get the connection. But I think what the song is conveying is whatever it is, whatever failures are out there, I'm going on my journey. And the video to the song is incredibly powerful. It makes this incredibly powerful song even more powerful. It, it really does. It, it starts with a young boy who is the protagonist in the storyline kneeling at the grave of a father and having to go through life without that, but yet choosing to live life to the fullest on his own terms in spite of the pain, in spite of the things that might go wrong, in spite of all of it. It's just absolutely a fantastic song, and it fits today. Because the only way you can be optimistic about the world we live in today is to know that you're willing to live your life that way. And I hope that you are, especially after today's show. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Don't call me Prodigal son Cause I ain't coming back I'll make it On my own Let me walk my own path And don't worry The stars on the other side Nothing left to find There's nothing more than 